you feeling your feet right now? Like, initially the posture matters. Like, I'm in my body all the time. I'm, I'm feeling. I'm feeling my feet. The way I check it is my hands. If my hands start getting cold, it means I'm getting heavy, which means I'm going into the fight or flight response. Image I can give you is think of an Alka-Seltzer tablet. This is not my image. George Fritz came with this old biofeedback guy. You take an Alka-Seltzer tablet, and that's your consciousness, and you melt it in your body. As it melts, it bubbles, it fizzes, it comes down to your fingertips, to your feet. A thought comes in, the tablet forms again up here. Keep melting that tablet. And the posture thing is pretty big. Like this, this, this lifting here and this thing here, and if your legs are just that thing is really, really big. It really does something to you. Yeah, question. Um, with a mask, more like a, a rebel or a black sheep type. Of Love it. Good man. Good man. Like a kind of a, a more negative mask. Bring it, bring it on. So tell me, what do you know about that? Sounds, <laughs> sounds like you read a book or two on it. Talk to me about the rebel mask. Like good company uh, over here. Well, uh, kind of growing up the black sheep and then it turning into more of a rebel thing. Great. Always being the opposite yes. of what people want. Love it. So, beautiful how you described it. Um, I can relate to that one too. So the rebel thing, remember, we're still attached to church towards something. That's a one-time event. If you're constantly rebellious, you're as attached to it as the ass kisser. Because that's one mass, right? The ass kisser, everything is good, I'm good, I'll do whatever you want to do. This, being the rebel, is as attached to external stuff as the person who's always trying to be the good person. So the problem with that mask is you're starving as much as the person who's trying to be the good boy, the good, the good girl. And there's a bigger piece here in that the rebel, or the, well, the rebel can become a part of it, but usually goes hand in hand with the black sheep, but the black sheep carries the energy for the whole family. So a lot of the times when the black sheep and the family gets it together, somebody else breaks in the family. It's a very interesting thing there. So it's actually deeper than that. But it's an assigned role. People love the energy. Like a very common thing in family dynamics is people love the black sheep as much as they hate it because it takes the heat off of them. Oh, you know Bobby, man. He's insane. Jeez, did you hear what he did now? Oh, my God. Jesus. Took the car and put it into the wall. That guy's an asshole. What about the rest of us? Um, I've had this experience with my own family where when one person shifts that, it really blows out the rest of the family. And it's with every family. Where one person is idealized and they lose as much because they're not allowed to have their shadow. And then one person is totally the black sheep. Now here's the interesting thing about the black sheep. As much as they're still stuck in that realm and there's depression, anger and all with it, it's almost a better deal to me than the idealized, because there's going to be an idealized part of you in that family. It can be a sibling, it can be a parent. Those people are even more screwed, because they can't have any emotions. At least with the rebel, there's a little bit of shadow out, you're just doing your thing, you kind of, people kind of realize. The person with the goody two-shoes, that's usually the one like, you always hear this with psychopaths. He was so quiet. <laughs> Such a nice guy. Cannot believe he ate 12 people <laughs> piece by piece because it snaps, at least with a rebel. But both are two sides of the same coin. Because remember what we talked about? It's about being authentic. That's another new agey word. You want to put a gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Be authentic. Like whenever someone says that, right away I'm like, oh, okay, so you're not authentic. It's like a car salesman. Cars mint, man. I'm like, wow, that'll cost me 20 grand to fix. People just immediately lie. But there is this thing about being authentic. And authentic is not one thing. Authentic for me might kill you. Authentic for you might kill me. 
the image that I always use is, are you a rose bush, are you an oak tree? My food, if I'm a rose bush, is going to kill you as an oak tree. Your food as an oak tree is going to kill me as a rose bush. Find out what plant you are. That's the authentic part. It will very much upset those people around you. So that was, that's a great mask, that the, the rebel, the, you know, because it's a shtick. Like, what can be rebellious about something? And people are going hungry in this country. We've got two million people in prison. In one of the richest countries in the world, used to be anyway. Yeah, that, that's something that brings anger in you. That's, that's something to be rebellious. Beautiful. But if everything becomes a rebellion, then, like, where's your center? Like, where, where are you? So it becomes a shtick. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Answer your question? Yeah, I mean, because if the rebel is just focused on the things that are, I mean, there's so much going wrong in a sense, or, sure. or crazy, confused. Sure. sure. That too can become a shtick. Totally. Yeah. No, it is a shtick. Not yeah. it become. It is a shtick. Mm-hmm. Because one can have that experience. Once the authentic self is there, it's aligned. Because remember, a rebel is in reaction too. You want to right. be in your center. Right. This is what we're talking about this thing. Like the second you, someone comes into your space, you want to go there and punch them. That's the rebel a bit. Not a lot. Right away is into this action. There's, there's no center. Mm-hmm. There's no center. Any last questions? We're going to do a little meditation before we break for indigestion around this neighborhood. I know we're going to eat. <laughs> this time I'm going to guide you a little bit more. If we really trusted this, we would have just sat here all day. It would have got so much more out of it. But since we don't, I've got to sit here and be like, blah, 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 and you're going, blah, 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 blah. This is the most important part of the day. You can do your eyes open or close, up to you. Feet on the ground. A couple of deep breaths. Let's just get some of this energy moving. Really make some sound. Move your shoulders a little bit, you can twist side to side, free up your spine. the belly, release the buttocks, lift from the base of your skull, keep that chin down a little bit, everyone's looking good, make sure your jaw's relaxed. the sounds. Feel the feet. If you're keeping your eyes open, look in front of you a couple of feet and look down. 
that quiets the mind. If you look too far up, your mind will be more active. So if the eyes are open, soft gaze, a couple of feet in front of you. I'm going to work our way down now, starting from the top of your head. Now visualize that Alka-Seltzer tablet. I'm going to melt it down your skull, your brain. while feeling your body, your eyes. Your jaw. Your throat. Breathe through your throat and relax it and open it. Your chest. your fingertips your upper back your middle back your lower back hips, your thighs, your calves, your shin bones, and now feel the feet, and actually now feel below the feet, just allow your feet to really relax and send that energy down, grounding into the ground.
put your tongue behind the top two teeth, front teeth, and see what happens to your energy. Gently rest the tip of your tongue behind the back of the top two front teeth. back in the room, feel your body. You're really open right now, so as you go out, make sure you're grounded. Did you feel what happened when you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth? Did you feel anybody feel the difference? What the hell am I talking about? Anybody feel a difference? I felt just like a connection. Mm-hmm. So, in Chinese martial arts, you have two main meridians, center meridians of the body. The yang meridian up the back, the yin meridian up the front. When you put your tongue on the back of the top two teeth, it's what's called microcosmic orbit. It actually connects those meridians. Naturally, for a lot of us, that tongue is there when you're relaxed. But if you do it consciously, it can actually help quiet your body down. And it's like a battery. It actually tonifies the energy. So play around with that. We'll do a standing qigong meditation later. But it's a good practice. So basically, the tip goes behind the top two teeth and just touches it, connects those two meridians. I'm full of useful information like that. So let's go to, um, try to get here 2, 2.15, we won't start, but I don't want you to rush, we've got plenty of time. Shoot for two, don't be much later than 2.15. Ground yourself as you go out. Nothing, no questions? I'm that clear, huh? Impressive. Go. You had said uh, addiction is left-handed. Oh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> so, traditionally when they talk about the spiritual path, they talk about the right-handed path and the left-handed path. The left-handed path is annihilation. You annihilate yourself. 
through like addiction, through death. You obliterate the ego through left-handed path. The right-handed path is integration. And left and right, obviously, because people are right-handed, so left-handed people, I'm sure, are always, it's like crazy, what do they say, left or right? Trying to kill the ego by committing suicide, that's the left-handed path. So that's traditionally, that's where those terms come from, left and right. Now, I doubt an addict would come and say to you, I'm doing the left-handed path, but that's what happens. You break the ego. That's what I was saying about drug addicts. Depending on their body type, people tend to use the drug that actually magnifies their energetic body. So if they're very speedy, they'll go and do an upper. Very common tendency. If they're slow, they'll do an opiate or oxys or heroin. So an unconscious level, you're pushing your ego towards the way that's going to decimate it. Does that make sense? Clear? Question? No, I mean, the age stuff definitely makes a difference on an ego level because you have these death markers. But no, it's so different from person to person. Um, I used to treat this guy, he's dead now, lovely man. He was 78 at the time. Right? You know, he was really ill at the time. And his whole thing was women. And it was amazing as a 78-year-old man, he was looking to get married again. And he was like on the verge of dying. So there are these vasanas that have nothing to do with age. So you would think, what, at late 70s, your sexual drive comes down, these things change. And his whole thing, and his body was actually broken. Like he couldn't have erections. He was not wheelchair-bound, but almost. So it's these body-mind tendencies when they're strong and that hunger is there, it won't be age-relevant. Traditionally, right, I mean, the idea is that these markers will shift something, but we live in such a... Um, fake world right now it's not real we're so disconnected from reality that I think these cycles don't matter anymore but traditionally in these traditional cultures you came in you did your thing then you get a certain age you give your belongings away and you go and become an aesthetic or something like that but in our culture now there is no time on that level and we keep moving these things back I mean I treat 40 year olds that are children you know, on one level it's beautiful because we have a permission culturally in the way that our parents didn't have. And on one level it's like we're not maturing in many ways because we're allowed to be kids. It's, it's interesting. We're living in a sort of a profound narcissistic time where, and we all have that narcissistic bent. So you have to really go with your own clock. For some people that might be true. One thing that I do see is this Saturn return bit. That's a very interesting thing. Are you familiar with that? Astrologically speaking, I mean, astrology is one of those interesting things, right? It's the holographic model. One piece contains information about the whole. You know how a hologram works? You have a holographic picture, you cut a piece of it, tiny piece of it, you shoot a laser through it, and the whole thing appears. Well, in Chinese medicine, you can take someone's pulse and tell a lot about their bodies. In astrology, you can read their chart, tell a lot. Are these things accurate? They're pieces of the whole. In terms of cycles that you're talking about, Saturn return is that age between 27 to 29, and it repeats again later on in that same cycle in 60, where people reevaluate their lives, they let go of things that doesn't serve them, taking that things that do and then start a new path. That's one cycle that I see a lot with people. 
And it usually works in reverse, and that things blow up. Big things happen, relationships end, marriage happens, like big things. Have children, don't have children, make big decisions. That's one cycle that I see. Um, and to your question there, this idea of waking up, again, we think these things are events, they're not events. There is a constant process of dying. I mean, I don't know about your worldview, but most of my worldview, I was trained. You have these levels of awakening, and they just deepen. Dalai Lama talking about how, you know, in his 50s, he had this profound realization of emptiness. This is a guy who was awake, studied with the best people, so it deepens. It's not a point that you hit. Did I answer your question? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because we want to compare, but your path is your path. No one's going to have your path to your process. You know, and remember that addiction to seeking. Right? There is this piece where you have to, on one level, empty these things. You have to do them until they burn out. But the addiction to seeking is one of the last things that gets in the way of waking up. It's fun to seek. It's, it's really fun. Right? If any of you have an addictive love for something, whatever it is, shopping, studying healing, making cool websites, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a high. It's just that it gets that extra goody-two-shoes mark in our culture of spirituality. You know, people, it's amazing, they spit their roster of the teachers they've studied like it means anything. It's like, so what? You know, like when you meet them in that spiritual context. Oh, I studied with Roshi this and that and that. It's like, That's interesting. You're still pretty much lost and an asshole. So great. <laughs> Literally, we can walk downstairs and take one of those books in that bookstore. And maybe out of 150 are crap and 30 are okay and 20 are gems. You can take one of those books and really practice it. It's all you need. You'll wake up. The Chinese have a great saying, we'll do a Qigong practice next, where they say you can take a pot of water and put it on the stove and switch it on and off a hundred times. It'll never boil. You leave it on for 20 minutes, it boils. When I was in China a long time ago, studying acupuncture, was a really cool guy. He was like, you know you Westerners? It's so cool. He didn't say Westerners, I said you Americans. He said, you read a hundred books once. In China, we read one book a hundred times. It really stayed with me. So I've sort of like got rid of a lot of books and have these books that I just reread over. And the ones that the Ramana Maharshi's and Mr. Gadatas. Not that I find anything new in them, but the energy, the Shakti in these books does purify the body mind constantly. It's like sitting in a swimming pool that soothes your heart. So the meditation you were talking about, that. That's the beauty of those techniques. You're, you're sitting in someone's energy, you know, whoever came up with that. Those, those are purifying, there's no doubt about it. Ramana Maharshi and Nisargadatta Maharaj. Yeah, he, they. I don't, I'm not familiar with who that is, but um, neither one of those people. Uh, I am that. I am that by Nisargadatta Maharaj, mm-hmm. and any of Ramana Maharshi's book. You guys familiar with Ramana Maharshi? So Ramana Maharshi was this person, this Indian. Uh, what is what? Did Car, uh, Carl Jung called him the widest spot in the white space. That's what Carl Jung had to say about Ramana Maharshi. 
he has this vision the whole time when he's a kid about Arunachala, which is this mountain southern India. And at 16, he overcomes with this fear of death, which is the next exercise we're going to do. I'm going to serve you some Kool-Aid, and you're going to drink it. And <laughs> um, you're laughing, but I'm serious. And um, he lays down and feels what it's like to die. And he actually, quote-unquote, dies. And he actually gets enlightened from this experience. And then from that, he goes into this years of silence, living in a cave, and eventually actually has, builds this ashram. He really was St. Francis of Assisi in the energy where he loved animals. He would enlighten animals by putting his hands on them. Literally, would, there was one time where they were getting robbed at the ashram, and he got in the way of his devotees um, getting a beating by the robbers and allowed the robbers to hit him. Now, this is the thing where we try to mimic these people. They're having a oneness. They, they, they're not having a oneness experience. They're in oneness. This is the hand thing I was telling you about. So if somebody's hitting this person, for him it's the same, hitting and getting hit, he's getting hurt. We try to mimic that, as Westerners especially, like, oh, I have no needs, I am, you can hurt me. Dangerous business. But he was amazing that way, there was this real purity of love with them, and at the same time a fieriness, and you go there, and the energy of this person is still there. It's incredible. That mountain is very powerful, it's like the, and a lot of people go do pilgrimage there. So these guys were really cooked. They're people of different levels of cooked. These guys were pretty, pretty cooked. I didn't know the guy personally. I'm sure he had stuff going on. But everybody does. You know, the body mind still has its thing. But he was amazing. Questions? Kind of hard to follow Ramana Maharshi with anything. <laughs> well, I didn't live with him. But people like that, they really, there is a death there. There is a death there where there, it's not really the body-mind speaking, but who knows, I'm sure there is something there. But it was pretty unattached on that level. I mean, you could tell from, you know, you live with a loincloth for real, with a pot, and that's what they do. I mean, there really is, it's hard for us from this side of the curtain talking about that side of the curtain. You can touch those moments. It's that fish story again. What is that dryness? I mean, understand, when you start having these experiences, you're not going to taste things the same way. Right, it always makes this joke, like someone offers you enlightenment and a million dollars, take the million dollars, because actually you'll taste it. Because when you're fully awake, these things, I mean, there is a loosening of that knot. Right? A lot of our lives, we're desperate for things. But it's a part of the lila, it's part of the enjoyment of it, right? Yeah. All of you here have something that you want. Something. Including awakening. Mm -hmm. It's part of what keeps things going. I think if you have no desires... Well, for a lot of people, when they have these half experiences of awakening, they really get depressed. I mean, I get emails all the time from people who have these kundalini experiences. They feel the oneness. They're not fully broken through because they're there, and they get depressed. Just had an email about a person had a near-death experience. I mean, you know, it loosens. The hypnosis is what keeps the game going, right? So those of you who are sugar fiends and then realize you have diabetes and can't eat sugar. It's different experience. If your whole existence is walking around finding the best bakeries in the city and then you can't eat sugar, it's a very different experience. So there is a dying process there. Now, before we get into the projection thing, I want to share this one exercise with you. 
When I read that Ramana Maharshi story years ago about him laying down to die, it really triggered something in me. And then I started working with all these dying patients and actually spending time with people as they were dying, holding them in my arms as they were dying. And I realized that this culture never deals with death. So there's a lot of life coaches in there, like this is a new thing now. I'm going to a life coach. And not to put it down, great stuff. A life person can really help you with stuff. We need some death coaches. Because nobody talks about death in this culture. And it can't, well, it'll certainly come. Like, you might even cheat the tax man. He's certainly not going to cheat death at some point. You have to prepare for it. You have to prepare for it. And it's not this somber experience. You cannot live fully till you realize it's constantly impermanent. So those of you who've lost close friends or a parent or someone that you love, you realize, and of course you forget it in a week or two or a month or six. But the dying thing is really a part of this puzzle. Again, not in this sort of terms of feel that so you can actually free yourself. Because that cuts through all the bullshit. Ayahuasca, right? Vine of death. People do these hallucinogenic experiences that's supposed to kill them. And I, I love this. And people go like, man, I had a great experience. I'm like, wow. I don't know what you were doing because when I did that stuff, I certainly wasn't having a great experience. It's like somebody put their fist up my behind. It's so painful. If it's not painful, you're not having an experience. Ego death is painful. When people do this. Like I did it six times this weekend. You're know, like, we can take anything and twist it. The death experience cuts through that bullshit. So one thing that's helpful to do from my perspective, once a month, once every six weeks, lay down and practice dying. The practice isn't to go into some new agey thinking of heaven, afterlife, blah, blah, blah. It's not that. Maybe that's really your experience or not. You don't want to go there. You really want to start feeling what it's like to actually start letting go of everything you love. So one of the first times back in the 80s I had this ayahuasca experience, I observed very painfully as I was dying, quote unquote, my mind was grasping at everything and everyone that I had a connection with. So first it was my girlfriend, then a parent, then a motorcycle. As he was, it was like this thing slipping off and it was grabbing things. And then that whole Tibetan book of the dead started making sense. I was like, wow, we really do this thing where we grasp at these things. And it gets ripped away from us. Practice that. Practice feeling. So we're going to do that right now. You can lay down if you want. It might be uncomfortable on these floors. Laying down is usually easier. Or you can do it sitting up. But um, do whichever is comfortable. I'm just going to guide you very quickly through something. A little, little uh, practice. in kindergarten where you're going to take your little nap after lunch. <laughs> so close your eyes and feel your body. Drop your breathing down into your belly.
while feeling your body, kinesthetically visualize. You're by yourself in your bathtub. You just had an accident. You just had a stroke, a heart attack. And there's no one around to help you. So now as you're leaving, you're leaving everything you love, every person, animal, place, Feel your body heavy and helpless. And really feel. Feel what comes up. You will never see these people again. All that hard work with your mind that you've developed is useless. All the money in the bank useless. All that you worried about heavier and heavier, more and more still. Feel your heart, feel the emotions that come up. as you bypass these bundles of thought that you confuse for yourself, as yourself. All these relationships that you use to identify yourself, the social roles. Who are you?
Become aware of the energy in the room. Take a mental note. What happened in these last six or seven minutes? How it all shifted. Unlucky for you, the paramedic just arrived. Put those paddles to your chest and ran a bunch of voltage through that heart of yours. So gently come back into your bodies. Gently. Feel your hands and feet. And keep paying attention to what happens to the energy in the room as you come from that experience back into <coughs> being fully here. And you can get up. Back to your chairs. Can somebody hit those lights back there, please. Thank you. That was uplifting, wasn't it? Share some experiences. Let's just go around the room. Everybody say something. Um, well, first I was totally overwhelmed and I started crying because I felt like I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready to leave these people behind. And then, as I, you know, my eyes were tearing and I was just like, well, you just need to surrender because it's done. There's nothing you can do at this point. You don't have to worry about the laundry. It's just like it's over, you know. And it got a little more peaceful. But, you know, um, so the sadness like kind of winged a little bit. But initially it was very overwhelming. It's like, no. It's almost like I was like saying, I'm not ready. I can't say goodbye to this one or that one. Mm -hmm. So that's how it was for me. And then, then it just relaxed a little bit. So a gift of the exercise actually connecting with everything that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. Everything, everyone. Every day connect with that. Because it's mm -hmm. become so automatic life because it's so fast. Right? I mean, it sounds like new agey bullshit, but it's actually true. Go it just got really, really quiet in my head, and that, that was just some crazy colors and stuff, but uh, it just got quiet for the first time in my mind. So for you as a heavy guy, you need to do that regularly, to quiet the mind. I think it just hit that stop sign. Right? I actually really relaxed. I started feeling like I was dozing off, even. 
So for that super willpower, superwoman in you, it's a powerful experience to give that up. Could you get in touch with anxiety at all? Good. Practice that. Your job will be to feel your anxiety. Um, I felt also very um, quiet, um, but interestingly, I zeroed in on the very few relationships I actually cared about, where there are so many people maybe in my life. I only care about this very tiny group. And I felt most upset about saying goodbye to my mother, with whom I have a terrible relationship. Um, that was so it's a really powerful experience to use these times to heal those things. Very common thing, I mean, powerful psychics will tell you, very common when people pass over, a lot of times you can actually make peace with them because the personality is out of the way. But that's really powerful to make peace with the people that are the biggest pain in the ass in our lives. And remember, you don't have to do it one-on-one. -on -one. You can actually do it and just talk to them on that level. We'll do a little exercise later. That's one of the gifts of this exercise, is to realize where you have unfinished business. Because trust me, it's a lot more work without a body. Go ahead. Um, my initial reaction was I was very uncomfortable was thinking about my daughter. And uh, she, she was going to be safe, you know. Um, and uh, I felt a little emotional, but then that, that sort of passed. And then um, I was connecting with uh, a little bit, I think. When I think about death, I feeling connected to that? Uh, sort of like narrowing and then nothing. Just sort of... So play with that narrowing space, not the nothing space. Play around with that with your meditation practice. See what that narrowing feels. Well, the beauty of this exercise is once you push through that anxiety and go to that who are you, that actually you can start living more fully. You know, the anxiety is just unexamined stuff. Once you examine it, it goes away. But when you don't examine it, it becomes really, really strong. And that's why we don't meditate, because everyone's anxious. But that death thing adds that little bit to it. It's an amazing thing for you, but I don't know if you already do that, but make that a thing. You get to the country once every three months or two months and get in touch with that little girl. It's lovely. There's so much life force in that. I actually, in the beginning, felt joy like we never run a time. Mm. And when you said sense in the room, I'm not really good at that, so I didn't sense anything. Mm -hmm. But then at the very end, um, I know this is part of my personality, I felt like try harder, but I also felt try less. Mm. So 
Great. Yeah, certainly try harder doesn't work too well. Um, the core people in my life came through me, and I I saw how I wanted to heal the relationship, and regret came up mm. for not being able to do it before passing. Mm. So that'd be great to put on top of your list and really work towards that. Really work towards what the blockage there is. Because the regret thing is very common with people who are near death. It's, that's what I hear a lot. That's what I've heard a lot. I wish I'd done this. I wish I, it's very common. I mean, we die the way we live. That's like one truism, right? It really is. If you're, and it's not about a perfection thing, but to go after the things that one wants on that level. That's the gift of this stuff. My uh, website a week ago, I think, by a woman who had this experience. She died and gone to the other side, and she's totally depressed by being back, which is a very common thing. Now, you know, whatever. Until you have the experience yourself, I'm not really vested in whatever you want to say. But I've been around enough people who've had these near-death experiences that the stories are too similar to just being just a brain thing, but maybe it is. But it's a very common thing where people have this expansion experience, and they get pulled back, and they don't want to be here. And people have come back, actually, for children. I've, I've seen that, or a loved one. But then they're pissed off about it. Um, so there is something very interesting there on that level. Of like not, once, you, once you go through the pain and you open up, it's just like, ah, it's so tight. But once you're here, it's like gripping for, for dear life. Um, I swear, you know, people come into my uh, head mm-hmm. that, I, that I care about. And I, I realize that Play with that. Absolutely scary. The infinite is very scary to the finite self. Till you can let it go and it's actually totally comfortable. But that's that fear point for all of us. That's part of where seeking is not waking up. That the finite self, that seeking, doesn't want to go to the infinite. It's just too big for it. That's part of the game that I'm talking about. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. The, the party that's finite says, I want to know the infinite. I want to know the infinite. It doesn't want to know the infinite. You know, sort of like going to the edge of the pool and then building a bigger pool, but you never want to get wet because your hair is just too perfect. Like, the hair is the ego. It's never going to get wet. Those of you who have hair, you know how it is. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so that, that's actually great practice to play with that fear. Once you face it, it does soften. Once you face it, it does soften. Right? There are these practices in India where people go sit on corpses and all that. It's, it's that. It's just working towards that. It's a great experience. I mean... I had it when I was, the first time I saw a dead body, I was 15. I got into NYU medical school. I actually didn't get in. I actually walked into where they're working at cadavers. <laughs> um, and it was really interesting to be around these cadavers. And you're just like, 
holy shit, like, it's such a mind game. You're like, these are people, and they're hanging like, they're really hanging like meat hooks, right? As if you've seen it, and they're all like discolored. It's great practice. That's one of the unfortunate things about our culture. Because death has become this. No one, you know, a lot of third world countries, the elder people die in the room with everybody. This is a part of life. We're so disconnected from it, so. Losing your parents when you're very young and when as a child, you're so aware of the impermanence and you've got abandonment issues. For me, it's the opposite. It's like going home when you're dead. For me, it's wanting to stay in form relationships rather than the converse. So did you... So I'm very happy with... But what about your son? So he, he lost his mother at a very young age. But what about your son that was just born? Um, I was, you know... So there was it no... It very cold, but it's just... No, it's survival. When yeah. yeah. Well, you're not telling the story, actually. I think it's very honest. Mm. See if you can find an emotion around it. Yeah. I mean, that would be a practice for you. See if there is anything there charging. It really might be that that trauma of losing your mother, you really did face it at that age because kids are so open then. Mm. But having a relatively newborn can shift that too. Yeah. And the reality is, and this is not... Do you know what I mean? It's really that way. It's devastating. It's not easy. It's not too sugar-coated. It's brutal. But in some weird way, there are no accidents. And that's not to say that it's not horrendous <coughs> when a 30-year-old mother of two dies of cancer. Horrendous. Go ahead. Um, I'm very interested in what you said because I really couldn't So this thing, I was waiting to see who brings this up. The, the energy got so heavy here and there was so much anxiety. Like it literally was palpable. I don't know if any of you felt that. But it just went, whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and you are. I mean, we're going to change that now. Have some, yeah, we're going to do some ayahuasca. Um, but that's the thing that's interesting. Like, we, we have these head experiences around this stuff, but the energy was so deep and the anxiety was so deep. Who says who's mine, who's yours? But it was there. So, be observant of these emotions. I felt a lot of emotion, um, like not wanting to let go. And I, my parents passed away. My, I have a brother left. And it was like feeling him, like almost screaming, but not hearing him. And then underneath that was an overwhelming, almost like peaceful, like on top of that, that I sort of felt that with him, like I've got to go. But at first it was, and then it just sort of got to go.
set that uh, I would leave my dogs behind. <laughs> and uh, I wrestled with that a little bit, and then I let go, and I sort of got blissed out. And I also got resentful, and I had to come back. I love the animal thing too, right? I mean, animals are incredible. I mean, I love animals. They're unconditional love. They're undivided love. That's the thing about dogs and cats. They're so incredible that way. They're undivided love. And that's why they're so powerful and they're so forgiving and they're such amazing teachers. And that's the thing that I love about this country, man, how people treat their animals. It's like nowhere else in the world. Because they get it. They get it. Like, we get that here as a culture. It's We get that these are undivided love and how powerful teachers they are. I mean, it's really unconditional love. I mean, man, it's beautiful. Dogs and are the real bodhisattvas. Huh? Dogs are the real bodhisattvas. Yeah, dogs and cats and all animals. Because they're undivided. Right? And how, I mean, there's gazillion amounts of research. How animals know what time you're coming home, even if it's a different time every day. I mean, the connection that these animals have with us is profound. Well, when you're sick or anything. All of it. All of it. And really, we're, we're rare that way, even compared to Europeans, how we honor animals. It's, it's lovely. It's really like a beautiful thing about this culture. But only stop bombing the brown people, it'd be perfect. <laughs> right. At first, I was fighting it, actually, and I could really sense the energy in the room. And, um, and then I noticed that there was this sense of calm and How were you fighting it? Energy was really intense. I mean, I still feel it. It's, I yeah, yeah. We're gonna do, we'll do some chanting when we go around. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good practice to hold it for you. It's obviously a little bit loaded here. Good practice. Yeah. Feel your feet. That's why you don't. That's why you don't pick it up. Beautiful. Go ahead. you like that. So it's interesting how you two are saying a similar thing. It's really good practice then for you just in terms of relaxation to keep practicing that letting go, just to soften that energy. And the coming back is brutal. I mean, ask anybody. I've seen, hundreds is an exaggeration, but 50, 40 people I've had these experiences, guys I've raced with, guys who've had surgery, women who've had surgery, when they come back, nobody likes coming back. And they're all pissed off. Especially when it's that violent 10,000 volts of the body. They're just like, are you kidding me? I just went all the way that way, and he's just like pulled me down. 
It's like you get out of your Lower East Side tenement and then just pull you back in. <laughs> Everyone that I've met didn't want to come back. And the ones, like, there was one, one uh, specific thing, to your point, was a mother of uh, two young kids who had a serious car accident. And she didn't want to be back, but she really felt like her children, she, she was divorced, the father was a drug abuser, and she felt like if she didn't come back, um, who would take care of the kids? But, but it was not... Because people have this expansion feeling. I mean, the way I feel is like having a tight pair of boots, really tight pair. And you just take that off, and it just feels like, I don't go back in. Before she explodes, go on. Um, I was a uh, Christian school So work on them. I mean, that's the thing about these exercises, isn't just to do them for just the sake of torturing yourself. You know, you got your relationships for that. Practice. See what needs to be changed so you don't have those feelings. It's just a matter of being honest. It's our dishonesty in relationships that set these situations up, right? I mean, the obvious, but you have to act on them. So if it is something that you crave, go after it. Because when a time comes to leave, you really want to have done your best to feed the aspects of yourself that need to be fed. Right, there's this famous story about this Indian teacher, Naam Kirli Baba, where in the middle of the night he wakes up and it's a guy who didn't eat much and he's stuffed on his face with food. And the, sort of the students are like, okay, he lost it. The old boy next door died last night. I bring him and give him food because the last thought on his mind was food. Brings the soul of the person into the body to feed it because the last thought in the person's body as it died was hunger. So the person wouldn't reincarnate for hunger of food. So, whatever, take that the way you can, but keep connecting with your dogs. Keep connecting with your cat. Keep connecting for what you want, your desires. Keep clearing out your relationships. Because those things, in the worldview, the, the best that we know from this side of being these wet fishes that don't understand dryness, it seems that on the dry side, these things are important. Go. Um, I, I also So I think I've always had almost like a flirtatious curiosity about that. Like I remember very young, like trying to do this, actually, just trying to, like, I wonder what it would be like to not exist, which, you know, is already a contradiction. But so I've spent a lot of my life actually kind of thinking I'm okay with it. But then when we were here doing this, you know, people were flashing through my and my daughter and my husband and a few really, I mean, I was just like, oh! <laughs> I mean, I... It was deep. I knew I couldn't go. But then, and it's very hard to talk about it because it felt so... I won't let myself think about it since I had a child. But there was also, when I finally started to go, like, okay, I'm just going, you know, this is it. It was, like a number of people said, it was 
was really, it was a, it was a nice, very quiet, calm experience. And I was okay about coming back, though. <laughs> you know, but it was, uh, it, it really helped me feel like, okay, this is, I can do, I could be there. You know, I could, but that was me, that separation. Breathe. Everybody breathe. See how uncomfortable it gets when someone starts having an emotion? All of you start looking away. Looking down. Because it's shameful in our culture to have an experience. It's vulnerable to have an experience. Thank you for crying, because you're crying for all of us. So that's great. Breathe. Keep plugging away at that. It's good practice for you. All right, so when you lose a parent at a young age, like some of you have here, you get into this uber willpower. It's a terminator. It's too painful. So it's cut. It's a razor cut. It's not a dull knife cut. So you have to be very conscious that you don't perform surgery constantly in all aspects of your life. That you keep this open. First, second, third chakra. postdoctorate and caretaking obviously for somebody to be involved with you with your body <laughs> that's the connection there right it's the ultimate giving up of control right the part of us like I just observe people's I don't know you but I can just tell from your body language the caretaker thing in you right yeah well but that's what that's about like giving up control for a caretaker to give up control is profound anxiety so it's interesting that part of it Stay with the emotions of it for you to really stay with your emotions of it. It's very, very powerful medicine. So I think I just felt really relieved and like, 
Why are those hard? Why are those? Well, something that I was with my daughter, and she was begging me not to go, and it's hard to leave my body. And then once I did, you know, it's calm and good. But I don't maybe because I don't have children now, you know, or maybe just my soul out of the body more, and I just have more of a knowing, I don't know, but I was happy to go. The past life regressions really do help on that level. So for those of you who don't know what it is, Basically, it's hypnosis, where you take people back and have memories. I used to hypnotize people years ago. This is going back in the 80s, just to relax them when I did biofeedback. And then one time, by accident, somebody went back. And what was really strange was people actually started healing from illnesses when they had memories. So I wasn't really aware of what past life stuff was. So then I started doing it. And then what was really interesting was taking people in between lives, actually like when you die and before you're born, and again, I have no vested interest this is real or not. All I can tell you is certain memories, and this is hundreds and hundreds of people, certain memories would actually lead to healing of physical illnesses. So some a woman who was a man this lifetime would remember that she was a native Indian, she was raped, she would have that memory cry, and all of a sudden this sexual dysfunction would clear. And this was over and over and over. So this is something interesting to examine, but at the same time, who really cares? I mean, this is the thing I always say to you. Somebody asked the Buddha, you know, what was I in my past life? Buddha said, look where, who you are now. What will I be in a future life? Look who you are now. That's pretty punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> What is it about the energy that's so hard for you? Um, because I do so much work on myself personally that it's just, it's just a little, it was a little much then. But not in a bad way. I mean, it's not like yeah, good or bad. It just was. It was like the second I sat down, I was like streaming. And then I started thinking about my grandma now. It's true, we don't really get this grand opportunity to deal with death in this culture. Like, no bug, no experience, nothing. Like, this beautiful, that was totally changing. Okay, right down here. Yeah, yeah, she's all right. So, feel your body and feel this energy. Yeah. Right? So, letting go of preferences and aversions is how we see the truth. It's not a, the most important thing today. The third Zen patriarch said this. Let go of your preferences and the aversions and the truth shall be perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. Yes understandably, the preference to have money, good health, good looks, blah, 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 and the aversion of suffering, broken limbs, death and dying, yes. But ultimately, 
you become the master of your own ship by being okay in all situations. So as much as in a rush as you are for the next four people to share so we can move out of this energy, yeah. sit with it. Sit with it. Yeah, no, I'm not, it's not a judgment. I'm just saying that's what this exercise is about. Feel the aversions and preferences because we all have them. We all have them and we dig deeper. And feeling them is what releases them. Yeah. I have massive anxiety right now. I have no relief whatsoever. I sort of went through this exercise for me like four months ago. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to be sorry for having a feeling. I had um, spinal surgery unexpectedly. So two days before, I went through this exercise for real. And I'm very attached to my life, and I'm very aware of that, because I'm very attached to my family. So for me, laying here, I didn't want to come up here, because I've already done this for real two days before I sat in Pirates of the Caribbean with my family two days before my surgery, thinking, if I don't wake up, what am I going to do? And I had my you know, throat cut open, I had you know, a graft in my spine, a plate, I didn't care about any of that. All I cared about was waking up. So when I did this exercise for real, I didn't really want to have to do it again. So I went really peaceful and sort of took everybody else's peace while I was lying there. When I got up is when I started really having anxiety. It's a good practice for you not to take on everybody else's peace. The compassionate thing would be, given that you're such a caretaker and given that you've had this horrendous experience, forget about everybody else. Well, it felt good when I was laying down. For me, it was peaceful, but yes. I didn't deal with what I was feeling. So, a good practice for both of you. Feel your feet in these situations. The tendency is, when we go up, right, for most of us, the chakra system, seven chakras, you're familiar with that? I don't want to get a whole sidetrack here. Most of us collapse out of the first three chakras, most addictions is a way of trying to root yourself through not having a connection with your chakras. So when I say to you, feel your feet, that actually connects these three chakras. When you don't feel your feet, these chakras are wide open. For those of you who are empaths, you will take on people's energies. So a good practice, let's say you're flying back home, you're doing something, feel your feet. That gives you more of a shield. It literally amplifies your energetic field so energies don't come in. Right? This is a part of just phenomenal world. These are things that actually work. You brush your teeth, you probably won't lose them. It's the way of brushing your... It's astonished that I... That two people come up. And I'm sorry to leave them. And... Then I feel very... In another way, very good. Because I see nothing changed. I will be there. On the other side, I'm feeling that this, um, both sides are really connected, so I don't believe them. But it was very, that only two people come. Good to look at, huh? Right. Really remember these. I mean, do a little, don't let it go with this exercise. Just work on it when you have time, for all of you. This is important stuff to get a real clear idea of where we are at our lives for all of us. Um, I thought about the people I care about uh, who are alive, the, the people who have passed away. I didn't... Um, but then I started thinking. Thinking was coming too strong. And because I've been thinking about death a lot, and then all of a sudden, I fell asleep, I think. <laughs> you did. I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
it's hard to do this exercise, obviously, after eating. But the thinking and the sleep are two ways that we actually do shut down. I'm not saying that's your case, because we had just eaten and laying here, and I turned the lights on. But thinking and falling asleep are two very common things that people do with meditation. This meditation, really, when done, that specific meditation we talked about earlier, is a form of gentle dying. That's why it's so hard to sit our ass down. It's a form of practicing death. It's difficult for that reason. It's more gentle than this exercise. This is sort of the high colonic, and that's just an enema. It's your ego. This is more a colonic with a fire hose. Go ahead. I wish I could have fallen asleep. I think that's good, actually. Um, I'm the perfect, like, wannabe Buddhist um, in terms of, like, using some of the teachings, you know, in that kind of situation. You know, it's the kind of work that I do as well. And, you know, I, I really hang on to this idea of, you know, what is the nature of my mind when I'm going down through, you can call them bardos, you can call them whatever, but my experience was pretty much like three levels. So it's really easy for me to hang on to like an intellectual concept. You were talking about this really early, and that really resonates, resonates with me because I can really conceptualize things. You know, so I could conceptualize this idea of what is the nature of my mind, and, and then seeing the people that mean the most to me kind of come up. And then you had said something along the lines of, you know, this incredible amount of work that we, that we put into our mind, and then letting that go. And, and then when you said that, it, it made me kind of think about, oh my God, I have so much housekeeping that I still need to do. You know, even though you know I'm dying, but just like when you said the incredible amount of work that you put into your mind, it's like, oh yeah, it's like a shitload of stuff I still have to do. You know, um, and then the next layer down is where I really hit the shit, and it's um, I get abject terror, and that's probably what you felt from me because I couldn't breathe. It got to the point where I couldn't breathe, and that was the last experience I had in the jungle. You know, like getting to the point where, and it was probably the, the ghee and the bayan bark that I had at lunch, but where I can't breathe, I had this, that really, that kind of experience, like, oh my God, if this is the way I'm going, it's going to be rough, and it scares the shit out of me. Well, and keep the shit to yourself. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I, I tried to hang on to it then, I tried to hang on to it now, so I, I appreciate that, because yeah, I, I really try and take responsibility for that. But, um, and then I'm like, you know, Abdi, come on, bring the paramedics, because this is getting rough. And so you brought them, and that was good. Um, so I was able to kind of come back out of that. But, uh, yeah, so I'm still, you know, kind of struggling with that idea of, like, you know, if, if it ends up being, you know, to your point of, you know, if it's cancer or something like that, and, and it's, it's uncomfortable, and I have a parent that's dying right now of cancer, um, if it's, if it's going to be rough. Terror is the most honest thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. You want to get to this point. I mean, you might slip to the other side, but in my experience, the abject terror is really, it's there for everyone. It might be momentary, it might be hours. It's that kind of slipping into the other side with this, um, not my experience with people. Because remember, I mean, you spend, what, the youngest person here is in their late 20s, 30s, up to the 60s, or however old you are. That's how many days, hours, minutes you spend making this thing solid. The thing you're just going to let it go like that is just not really realistic. You build a sandcastle on the beach, it takes you an hour or two to build it, and the waves hit it and you start crying, right? I mean, at some point you're kind of bummed out. And that's something you spend an hour or two on. So the terror, the grief, experience these things. And this is not to be some masochist. You have to experience this to experience life fully. 
if you're not feeling these things, this is in the background all the time, you're not going to taste anything. Let's do three ohms just to clear this channel so you can, for those of you sensitive souls,